Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? One month behind, my friend. One month behind. Well, it's March 1st. Happy Women's History Month. Oh my God, I didn't even know. That's how bad of a woman I am. No. Well, I was just thinking, like, should we take offense that it's, you know, Black (laughs) history and women's history, like, it's all in the past, you know? Like, why... we don't with both of those groups of people. We don't really want to be in the past. <laughs> no, in and in fact, there is a T-shirt that says the um, that people love that I, I have the same thought that that says the future. Wait, the future of film is female, and I'm like, what about the present of film? Right, right. Like, what are what you about talking right about? Now? Like, I don't have a lot of time. I'm forty fucking six. <laughs> like, what are you talking about the future? I mean, I can't be talking about the future. So, I, I, I think the more we can get things in the present, the better off we are. You know what I mean? The better off we are. Oh yeah, my god, because- you're back! I'm back! I'm back! I'm back! I'm back! I did not want to come back. I did not yeah. want to leave my vacation. Yeah. I did not want to leave 80 degree weather and no responsibilities and fun all day. And it was a rough re-entry. Ooh. Was it really for everybody yeah. or just you or? Well, for everybody, but um, for my part, it was getting in on a very late plane, not getting home till 1.30 in the morning it's two inches of ice on my driveway. So I'm like doing slapstick, trying to get my luggage to my door. My daughter's asleep. Oh my. (laughs) I took the wrong key. I didn't have the right, I didn't have my house key. I don't know what the key is that I took. And so luckily, I mean, I guess I, Nobody knows my address, but uh, luckily we have a door that we often leave unlocked and it was unlocked. So we got in and I got my daughter upstairs and I said, just go go to sleep. I'll take care of everything. And she was like, yeah, of of course I'm going to sleep. Like I'm not taking care of anything right now. So I remembered that we had some snow melt, ice melt. I go get it. And of course, when I walked into this door that's usually unlocked i immediately locked it saying like we really shouldn't be leaving this open all of the time oh my god i know what's coming i think keep going keep going though keep going and then i get my little ice melt and i go to the back and i close the door because it's 20 degrees and i don't want to let all the warm air out and i happily salt my steps and get the luggage and bring it back up and the door was locked because yeah the door was locked and i still don't have a key And now my daughter is fast asleep. And not only is she asleep, I've already turned on the white noise machine. So if I ring the doorbell, if I had any chance of her hearing me, which it's pretty scant in in any case because she's a heavy sleeper, I've now masked the sound. And it's cold. It's cold. And you, I immediately would be like, I have to eat this ice melt. That's not sane. (laughs) (laughs) That did not occur to me. Here's what occurred to me. 
I'm wearing leggings, a t-shirt, and a thin sweatshirt because I was just in 80 degree weather and sneakers. I have no hat. I have no coat. I have no gloves. I don't even have a key to the car that's in the driveway because it's my husband's car. And why would I have a key to that? And we do have a garage code that has been broken for like a year. So I guess I should fix that for next time I'm in this situation. Um, Yeah. And I just tried ringing the doorbell and I tried yelling her name, you know, from down to like, I'm in Romeo and Juliet, just yelling up to, to Where her was window. Where the rest of the family? In Utah. Oh at my their God. Ski trip. I didn't yeah. know they weren't back. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. And I'm like, what the hell am I going to do? Walk to my neighbors at two in the morning and, and do what? Use. Oh, and I didn't, my my phone was inside of course. Oh my God. But even if I had my phone, what am I going to do? Call my daughter? She doesn't have a cell phone. (laughs) So I was in a real quandary. I was, I was in a pickle. So here's what I'd come to. I'm going to throw a heavy boulder through our glass door so that I could get in. And then I'm going to tape it up with cardboard because I must get inside of my house. And then I remembered that another security breach we have is that our window in our dining room that goes directly onto our porch is never locked and very easy to climb through. So that's what I did. And I didn't get to sleep until 3 a.m. And that's just, that was just like... That was just, of course, that was my re-entry. Like that, yeah. there could have been no other yeah. re-entry because ending your vacation sucks. Sucks. Bad. It really sucks. The greatest period of time is like the two weeks before your vacation when you're getting psyched and then your vacation. And then for me, about two days before it's over, I'm like, oh God, I have to go back I, to I, all I, of this I, stuff. I mean, you know, we're, I am really bad at transitions like I remember as an actor being told that too. Like, and I remember thinking, oh, really? yeah. And I remember thinking that's perfect. Like that, that makes perfect sense. I'm not shocked. And it makes perfect sense. I, there were no transitions in my childhood. It was like, you're being thrown here and then you're being thrown. Here. And so um, this all makes sense. And also it, to, to be fair, your vacation did look fucking brilliant like my vacation was like a dream like it was like a dream come true honestly like I kept being like why is this so amazing um and I I do I do think I I think I understand now why Disney has the stranglehold on everybody's wallets that it does it's because for many people it is a place where your childhood is openly defended and encouraged and people don't get that, you know, most people don't get that in other realms of their life. And, you know, there's a lot of adult only groups of people at Disney. Like I even read a review of our hotel that was complaining about the number of children there. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's called uh, all-star movies it's like the it's 101 dalmatian themed and toy story and fantasia and i'm thinking wow this couple went here thinking oh people get married there like they without no 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 there are yeah no you're right on it is i think you really really hit the nail on the head when you said that it's people's childhood 
encouraged. Like, are you kidding me? Like seeing your pictures, I was like, oh, I'm going there. And I don't care if I go alone. Like, I, I don't give a fuck. You're going to see me alone wandering through Disneyland, happy as a fucking clam. Well, do you like roller coasters? No. Oh, you don't like roller coasters. I was going to say, well, let's go together because I didn't get to ride one single roller coaster. I will go because... with you. I would go if I trusted the person. I'm always just like, because I'm so neurotic, I'm like, do I want to die with this person? If I'm yeah, with, right. with some weird, like, you know, whatever. No, I would go with you. Let me tell you, the. I don't know when the last time you went to like a Six Flags was, but the the difference between your run-of-the-mill amusement park and Disney is like the difference between coach on Spirit Airline and first class on, on Emirates, like United. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just they really, they really curate the experience for you. And I'm so fascinated by all of the work that has gone into just that, like all of the work that has gone into. And we we had a classmate. Um, at the theater school who worked at Disney before she went to theater school. And I'm drawing a blank on her name, bl blonde yes, hair. Yes. And she told us about some of the rules. They had rules about how long your fingernails could be. And they had rules about your earrings and they had rules. I think some of those rules have changed because yeah. I'm pretty sure you didn't used to be able to show <laughs> tattoos. Or, and now, yeah. I think you couldn't have dreadlocks before. Like it was a whole thing. It was a whole thing. So so they've put a lot of effort into preserving the magic, right? Like you can't, there's this underground tunnel system. So you don't see the characters in there. Because my daughter kept saying, oh, it was so sweet. She said, there's this hotel that's right near the, the, the park. And she said, why didn't we stay at that hotel? And I said, because it's like $3,000 a night. And she said, oh, I bet that's where the princesses live. And I said, yeah, maybe. And I, and it was, as you recall, we went through this whole Santa Easter bunny thing and she's, she's hip to that. So I didn't challenge her assumption, but a couple of days later she did. And she said, well, they're not really princesses. They're really people who put on princess dresses. So they probably don't live here. I said, yeah, they probably don't. She said, where do they live? And I said, in an apartment. And I just saw the look on her face, like imagining <laughs> You know, Ariel living in her studio in like Florida, right? In, I live in Florida. like Orlando, having gone to theater school, and then like, what am I doing? But you know what she's doing? She's fucking making dreams come fucking true. Is what she's that doing. That is, like, honestly, it's the Lord's work. I felt like because they have these opportunities for you to meet the princesses, you know, and these people know their characters so well to the point that. I can never hear Cinderella. She talks so quietly that I can never hear what she's saying. Uh, the the girl, uh, the woman who plays Rapunzel, mm -hmm. that character talked a million miles an hour. She talks a million miles an hour. They And they just know the ins and outs of their movies such that they're constantly referencing, like when, when we met uh, Jasmine, she oh. said have you seen my monkey Apu? I mean, and Clarissa was like, no, is, is, he, is he around here? Like, we'll, we'll go look for him. They really draw you in to the world. It's, they do. They are master storytellers. That's what they are. Yeah, Disney yeah. is, and these people, their whole situation. I know people that go on Disney cruises that are like, I would live on this boat if I could. 
Yeah, man, it's so enticing. It 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 really is. And I and I found myself being like, okay, Jew, this is <laughs> this is like uh amusement park, it's a vacation. Like, but I think it made it harder to leave. A lot of times I have to say, especially since having kids, no offense to my kids, a lot of times when I come back from vacations, I'm like so relieved for it to be over because I've had to do so much work. I mean, traveling with one kid who's pretty self-sufficient was very easy. Well, it put a whole new spin on like a family vacation. This is my new thing, which is one-on-one time. So what I noticed in your pictures uh, on social media was that when it's one-on-one time and I just had my niece here, right? Yes. I want to hear all okay, about that. So one-on-one time is so much different than family time. And I never had one-on-one time with either of my parents. Not that I really wanted it, but like it was always trying to force groups or other families with our family. And I think one-on-one time people don't like to do because it's so intimate And I, and I get that, but I also think when I saw your pictures, what I noticed was a genuine happiness and a not in your face and your daughter's face, but also like a fun, it looked like fun. And a lot of times when you see family fucking pictures, everyone looks miserable, 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 miserable. And it's no one's fault, but that is the jam. It is miserable to be in a group. It It is miserable. And actually, as we were walking around, she kept saying, why is that dad screaming at his kid? Like there was a moment where somebody was, I didn't observe it, but there was a baby crying and how she reported it to me was that this mother told the baby to stop crying. (laughs) And I said, well, you know, we're not having that experience because you're not a baby and because we're not all together, but we've had a lot of experiences like that. You know, I'm glad that you don't necessarily think, look at that and say, Oh, that's just like our family. But that is just like our family when we're all together. It's, it's a dynamic. So this is my whole, my whole like new way of seeing things, not new way, but like what helps me get through situations is like, Oh, this is a dynamic problem. It is, it, it, it is a energetic interpersonal problem. It's not one's one person's fault but like I now will never I I I said to my niece like I only want to do one-on-one time with with each of you great idea great idea so how did that whole thing come to be so I really um wanted to so each I have taken my nephew and my niece the oldest one on solo trips right um, to, to different places, but the youngest has never been. And then the pandemic hit. And so I was like, wait a second, this isn't fair. Not that life is fair, but I like to keep things kind of like, I don't want her being like, what the hell I'm the youngest. Cause I was the youngest. I get it. So I was like, all right, I want Elise to come out here, but by herself without my sister, without the kids, without George, like, no, 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 no. Also our place is so small. Only one person could fit in there right? So a small person. And so, um, I said to my sister for her 13th birthday, which was Sunday, I want to fly Elise out. And so that's what I did. And she, she had president's day, right? So she, she missed one day of school because Mia missed a day of school to do something with my sister. And, um, Elise came and we had a blast one-on-one man. I'm all about trying to help the dynamic not be unmanageable for myself and for others, but I'm really thinking yeah. about myself. Like, 
And she probably so appreciated the attention she got, right? Because I'm sure there's not much opportunity for her to get individual attention. No, it's just not practical. It just doesn't happen. There's so much going on. And, you know, and and so we had a blast. Now, look, one thing that I, I was telling my therapist yesterday, I was like, oh, this is what I realized about children. They're fucking a lot of energy. Even one brilliant child, right, that is is just being a child that's turning 13, no problems, still a lot of energy goes out because she's, you know, and they're fucking expensive. So I don't oh, care. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I know nothing about, uh, I, I, I know one hundredth of what the cost would be, but I'm like, oh my God. And we weren't even doing crazy shit. We were mm-hmm. so like for people to say like, oh, a family of four, five can live on $50,000. I'm like, are you, I, I spent like $50,000 in three days what you, that I don't have. What are you talking about? Totally. I mean, this is why, I mean, I, I have avoided saying this in the past, but this is why we make so much money and have nothing. <laughs> I mean, we have our house, we have a house, we own a house and we own cars. Yeah. But we have nothing else. We have nothing else. We have no savings. We have nothing else because 100% of our money goes to this very expensive thing we've chosen to do, which is have three kids. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and I have so much. I'm like, oh, my God. Just even life. Yeah, just life. Just not even buying. I mean, we didn't go crazy. We didn't go to Beverly Hills. We're not like... Living what on- did you do? Okay, so we went to, she got in really late Friday night, and um, we went to, then we slept in a little bit, and then we went to the beach. We went to my favorite beach, which is uh, Unipero Beach, who I found out was a terrible um, ruler that killed a lot of indigenous people, which is sad. But anyway, the, oh, yeah. Uni- Unipero de Serra? Yeah, one? bad, bad, okay. bad, bad, bad oh, man. I thought he was a Franciscan monk. I don't know. My, okay. I don't know. Anyway, someone's like, oh, you know, he killed a bunch of indigenous people. I'm like, oh, oh that's great. great. Anyway, so we went to that beach in, in Long Beach, my favorite beach, because it's super chill. It's not a scene. It's not like Malibu. It's not like, it's like down home. I love Long Beach, right? And I also have a affinity to Long Beach because my ex lived there who passed away. So I like Long Beach a lot. I have like special memories of that. And so we did that. We went, we ate like I, I, I now, because we moved in the pandemic, I had no reference for good food <laughs> in my mm-hmm. in my neighborhood, in Pasadena, in L.A., none. So I was like, all right, we're going to use this as an opportunity to explore. Dude, look, it has no, it doesn't hold a candle to Chicago because that's just how, you know, Chicago, I, I always tell people like Chicago is the best food and you'll die of a heart attack, but like you'll mm-hmm. eat the best food. But mm-hmm. we found great restaurants that we ate at. We, so we did a lot of eating. We did a lot of, um, walking, walking around. We did some walks, some hikes. She was obsessed with my dog, Doris, and she was really, really good with her, like trained her. Like she's really, she and her brother are both really into training dogs. So she did a lot of training with Doris, which I I kept up zero. And then, um, I just, I just don't care. And then, um, (laughs) I just don't, that's the truth. And, um, we just really spent time together talking about life and about, you know, her, her life and as a 13 year old and teenage stuff. And, um, but it was, it was only, it was like, she got in Friday night. She was here Saturday all day, Sunday all day, Monday all day. She left Tuesday afternoon. I was so exhausted. I I, I was like, I don't know. I have so, again, I have so much respect for parents 
and people who are engaged with their kids. That's what I'll say. Like people mm-hmm. who actually yeah. are trying to fucking be engaged. It's it's insane. Yeah. I don't know how anyone has time to do anything else. Hey, let me run this by you. I go into my little phases with the content I'm consuming. And yeah. right now I'm really deep into con- re-consuming. This is an old love that I kind of got away from drag race. Oh, right. Yeah. And I never had this thought before and I'm not, I don't have a judgment about it really either way. It's truly just a curiosity. Curious to know what your thoughts are. Did you ever watch that show? So I watched it a long time ago when it first came out. Did they remount it? Like, is there different incarnations or is it all just the same one? Yeah, they're on like season 13 or something like that. So I watched it at the beginning when I also got into Project Runway and I got into uh, America's Next Top Model and all that stuff. Um, Yeah, I, I... it wasn't my thing. It it just mm-hmm. didn't, it didn't compel me. Like I wanted to love it. And I, it's not, what is it about me? It is that, uh, or the show. Um, I, it's not my type of reality show in that. I just don't care enough. It's, you know, about fat, like the fashion, um, the fashion. The I'm glamour. More, I'm more interested in the psychological component and at least at the beginning it wasn't a huge part of the show yeah well for me it is the club remember on star search when they used to have acting co- yeah. um yeah acting component and it was so boring to watch you know because it's just not the same as singing and dancing, right? right? Even I, as little kid, was like, this is boring. I didn't want to watch the acting part of Star Search. Um, so we don't have an acting reality competition show. Drag Race is the closest thing we have to it because drag is theater. You know, it's creating character. It's, it's, and, and there, it, the art has elevated to such a degree that, the people who are really killing it are doing things that you would not imagine are drag. Like, really? And they're not wearing breastplates and they're not, they're, they're, and it's part of this whole concept of gender fluidity, which I'm really interested in. But my, my question is, is it inherently sexist that these men are doing female impersonations? Right. Because and and a big part of it is the humor. Mm. And I just had this moment of being like, wait, is the fundamental conceit here that we're laughing at men being women? Because why would you be a woman when you can be a man? I I just Yeah. Yeah. I, it may Ooh. not be. And and many, many drag uh artists may be feminists, may consider themselves feminists. I think RuPaul is not necessarily a feminist and he's not, he's not necessarily anti-racist. I mean, I think he's problematic in his own way, but it just occurred to me, like, what am I Uh, I laughing at this idea about just 
being a woman? Are we, are we trivializing it or making it frivolous? In That's way? so interesting. Like, I mean, I think that it goes, it, what comes to mind is also like, how do the artists identify? Like, do they identify as, as, as non, you know, non-conforming or, 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 or how, how do they well, call that? It, right. That's been an interesting evolution in the show, actually. <clears throat> From the first season, I think they they've they had at least one person who, through the course of doing it, said, "Actually, I'm not. I don't really want to do drag. I I want to be a woman. I am a woman." There's there's been that, and I haven't really followed it closely, but there's been some controversy about like, well, if you have a woman, a trans woman on the show, then is it still drag? Right. right? So there's all these questions. I don't really know where that debate right. sits at the present moment but i i do know that very many people who consider themselves drag artists all don't consider themselves men in any way so you know, it's they... like right I, I, so that that um then leads me to be super curious about yes like can can it become one, it reminded me of Shakespeare when in Shakespeare's time, pretending to be women, and it was always, uh, you know, women weren't allowed to be actors or whatever, and they and they also like, you know, they would make fun in a higher sort of even a intellectual way. They were making fun of the the weaker sex, whatever. So yes, I think there's a part of it that we're just laughing at the horror show that is being a woman, and then. The other thing that I was thinking about was what I think you're onto something when if we can transform it from being about that to being about elevating art to like when you said things that you wouldn't that piques my interest wouldn't consider quote drag that, that is like where I think we're headed in theater right like oh yes we must be I mean if we are to survive we must be headed in that like way. when you say can you give me an example of like what I what you wouldn't consider drag that is like like oh my God, there's this drag artist named okay. Sasha Valor, and she, I'm right now. I'm on season. I forget if it's eight or nine. Okay, I think it might be nine. And she, Sasha Valor, does well. First of all, and I think he identifies as a man. Um, he does his art is political <gasps> and intellectual. And he's one of these people who doesn't wear fake breasts. He does he what he does is he covers his nipples with pasties and and but builds the most beautiful garments around a look, around an idea. Um blend and and it's ref what I love is when it's referencing so many different things. Yeah. Like when he explains his outfit later, he's like, Well, this is a you know, reference to Marlena Dietrich and this is a <gasps> this is a reference to um, you know, the, how the gay culture in Russia exists because it's, you know, it's illegal to dress and drag there and, and homosexuality is not outright illegal, but it's, you know, obviously not a way that you want to go around presenting sure. yourself. It's just this elevated conversation. I mean, the first time I ever saw actual drag was in Las Vegas. At a, sh I was a teenager, and I couldn't believe I'd never seen it before. I couldn't believe how much this man looked like a woman. And that's what the drag was. It was all about pretty much straightforward, like glamour, sure. looking as feminine as possible. And it has just come a long way since then. And now it's about it's really just about embodying characters. 
So and I, yeah, you I love, love storytelling. So this is what I'm getting at from the Disney thing and from this is that you love detailed, nuanced, researched, and referenced storytelling. Totally, that is your jam. So I, it blows my mind when when all these disparate things can come together into one cohesive piece of art. That's what I like in plays. That's what I like in books. That's what I like in film television. and television. Yeah. So that's really interesting to know. Like. I think also like, yeah, for me, what I like is, yeah, super detailed, specific, thought out things. Like I remember my favorite thing as a kid was pop-up books that had teeny little hidden parts that you wouldn't expect to have a tab that have it. That was my fucking jam. I was like, and that is what I like about television is when there's callbacks or references or little Easter eggs or like where you're like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Did you notice that? You know, like I get into that because it means ultimately that people fucking care what they're doing. Yeah. 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 Oh, Yes, that's what really gets you, that people care. Today on the podcast, we are talking to Rebecca Spence. Rebecca is an actor, and if you live in Chicago and see theater, there's a very good chance that you've seen her on more than one occasion in more than one brilliant star turn she also does film and television she's got actually a television series coming out called 61st street she's in Candyman that's out in theaters right now she was in one of my favorite shows easy which featured a lot of great chicago actors we didn't really talk about any of that we talked about her undying love for chicago theater and her absolute respect for the actors that make it happen so please enjoy our conversation with rebecca spence Podcaster, voiceover. Yeah. What's the matter with you? <laughs> yeah. Why don't you get with it? Be a podcaster. Be a professional podcaster. <laughs> it's so easy, honestly. You just break right into the market. You immediately get tons of downloads and sponsorships. This is what I hear. This is what I hear. It's, it's amazing that I haven't jumped on this bandwagon yet. I don't know. I will say the number, the apex of active podcasts or or podcasts that were downloadable in the pandemic was 2 million up from 750,000 before the pandemic I, I absolutely believe it it's trending back down because i think people realize like it's kind of a lot of work to maintain something every week so you know we're just hoping to get back into that sweet spot maybe even less people will do it we'll get down to like half a million podcasts and then we'll really have a chance <laughs> Anyway, congratulations, Rebecca Spence. You survived theater school. Oh, wait, wait, you're you're looking you're looking like you don't agree with me. I uh I I'd like to reframe it a little bit. Okay. I I I I survived a theater major. I did not survive the grad school audition process. I oh girl, it does no I did because... not get into to, to theater school. 
yeah. we, we've often said we should call we should really call this i survived my desire to be famous whether you became famous or not you know like you have to contend with your with your desire for it so so you, okay so that. you never went to grad school for the, you went to undergrad and you got a theater major and then you and then you went to you you auditioned for grad schools and didn't get it what how could rebecca spence not fucking get into grad school are you kidding i didn't know what i was doing i didn't have a clue what i was doing so i um but I can say that my audition process for grad school is what brought me to Chicago and and made me fall in love with Chicago and ultimately helped me choose Chicago as a home base, which is where I've had my education. I My entire education in theater has been through observing and watching people very, very, very good at what they do. And so and just that, observing. What's just that? observing or or asking people i mean you said you didn't know what you were doing when you were auditioning but yeah i went to my i had i don't know anything to compare it to i think i had a great theater um experience in uh at my tiny little school um we had a, a three professor department and they were wonderful i I looked at some conservatories for undergrad and I just wasn't entirely sure um, if that was what I wanted to do because I didn't know anything about professional theater. Not a thing. I grew up in in um in Texas. I had I think I saw maybe one professional production. I had a, a friend whose parents were into musicals and they gifted me with an evening to go see Phantom of the Opera with Linda Etter of all people. So I'm like, if, yeah. if you're going to get a, an experience seeing it, that was great. But I knew I wasn't a musical person. I didn't have that kind of gift. Um, and I didn't know what, like, I never had seen regional theater. I had never gone to um, like a play play. No, I think my parents took me to a community college production of Glass Menagerie. <laughs> okay. So I was like, oh. <laughs> Some light fodder for a child. Um, right. <laughs> I um have to say, like, what is coming forward for me when you're talking about you're not the first person to say like a musical was the first introduction to any kind of acting. And they get a bad rap sometimes musicals, but they're a gateway for so, for so many kiddos. It's they're fantastic. Like, it's like magic. Yeah. I'm like obsessed with musicals now. Yeah, because I, I yeah. yeah I, I'm the youngest of three girls by a large margin. My sisters are nine and 11 years older than I am. And so they would put on plays and then stick me in them. So I was kind of dressed up a lot and they'd be like, go say this. And I would go do that. And, um, I really are they love... actors now. What's that? Are no. they actors now? Oh, okay. No, not at all. No. Um, we just had very active imaginations. And, um, so I, I, but I loved it. I, I always wanted to be, I had a very active imagination and, and wanted to, I, I knew I wanted to act like I, I wanted to be on silver spoons Oh, yes. here we are. Face to face. face. I always. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> and you know, no, no. I always thought that the line was, here we are face to face, a Kamala silver spoons. Someone, someone, someone informed me that Kamala wasn't a real word, you guys. And so I was, yeah, I was like, wait, what did you, they were like, what did you just say? I was like, here we are, Kamala silver. 
they're like say it again and i they were like you you know that's not the line but anyway you wanted to be on silver did you want to be on like ricky's like sister or anything like you just wanted to be in that world no i had a whole i had a whole plot line uh oh yeah no i was also going to be adopted into the family oh um yeah they were i i I was also going to be i uh, adopted into the family but then, of course, we were going to become love interests. Oh, yeah, of course. Twisted. It was very twisted. Sure, sure. Um, it, I, was, I was quite convinced, I, you know, Erin Gray was going to be my mother. Oh. Um, I also loved Buck Rogers. So I was a big <gasps> Buck Me Rogers Buck Rogers. So I kind of followed Erin Gray. I thought she was quite possibly the most glamorous woman I'd ever seen. And that's not true. Doris Day was. But um I I wanted to, to be parented by Aaron Gray. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, that's like me in like my modern day telling Brian Cox I wanted him to be my new father, right? That didn't, he was like, people have told me that before. It was actually, it's a real thing. So like, okay, so you, you wanted to be that. And then how did that translate, Rebecca, into like actually studying it? Because like, how did yes. you know it was a thing? I started doing a lot of plays um, in uh, church. I did a lot of church. Like I was Mary about 12 times. It feels like. <laughs> um, and I remember taking, I remember my um, like little, my first like actual play. I remember, I think I had to have been four and I was Mary and I took it really seriously. And the little boy who was playing Joseph, who also happened to be named Joey, was not taking it seriously. And he kept taking his little robe and throwing it over his head. And I remember being livid, absolutely livid. I just was. What an asshole Joey Joey. I was so disappointed because I really felt like I was giving off as many like holy maternal vibes as I possibly could. And he, he wasn't up to the task. Did you fight? Did he get fired or like, no. Did he get did recast? He recast? I just, I, I, no, no, no. I, I mean, my, <laughs> my memory is being up in front of the, I don't remember any kind of rehearsal process. I just remember being up there and holding my little baby doll and feeling very pious. Aww. Yes. I well, love that I for you. Over and Joey was like screwing with a shepherd and yeah, I was that's fantastic. I am Joey. By the way, I, I would be the Joey. I'd be like <laughs> doing dance moves and they'd be like this one. But here's uh, the thing. Rebecca, that's people so- were laughing and that's why I was because people were laughing and they, you know, he was drawing attention and laughing. Oh. And I thought I was like, I don't remember this being a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we didn't so, rehearse this as a comedy Rebecca here's what's interesting about that story for me <laughs> is that you I've never worked with you as an actor but I know from being around you and seeing you work that you are very and not in a and, and this is not uh well I'll just say it like you are a, like a consummate per- actor like you you take this shit seriously which I adore which I actually learn from people like that but like you are um, very kind and lovely, but you also are a fucking professional actor. And there is like, I know that sounds so obvious, but you know what I mean? Like there are people like Joey that fuck around at age four, which is fine. He's four. But like the fact that you didn't fuck around as Mary at age four, I think is actually an important thing in your, in your history because you take this shit seriously. Also, you're like, you work all the time, which is fantastic. 
which I don't think there's a coincidence there. That's all I'm saying. That's all oh, I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, Thank you. I, I mean, I knew I wanted to do, I, I played a lot alone. I mean, I was alone all the time. So I was constantly like perfecting different personalities. I mean, because I moved as much as I did, we moved every two and a half to three years. I had like an opportunity to like be put into different scenarios. And that was just like a playground for me to, to, well, first of all, it was survival. It was trying to figure out where am I? How do I fit in? How do I make friends? what what's like that group of people doing and how do I sort of evolve and adapt so that they'll speak to me did you move did you move because of your family were you a military situation god's military my my father was an episcopal priest tiny segue i uh listened to your podcasts and um the one that that i just delighted in was listening to siler thomas I knew Siler Thomas from church camp. I had no idea Siler Thomas was an actor, was in theater school. We, I grew up sort of adjacent to, to him. He's older than I am. So he was in a much like cooler, hipper, older church crowd. And, uh, uh, but we went to like all of the same, like, regional functional things because my father was an Episcopal priest and so he was very active in youth stuff and so I went with him and that's how I know Siler and Siler was a camp counselor and I was a camper and I had no clue that he was a theater person I can't wait to tell him I can't wait to tell him we reconnected sort of over Facebook but I haven't seen him but I listened to his entire podcast and I I I got really I got really excited (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's fantastic. So when my, what I would have done if I had to move every couple of years is I would have pretended that I was British when I came to a new school. Did you ever adopt new, like a really different personality? No, I couldn't because we were always sort of presented like we were kind of presented as a family. So that wouldn't have ever worked out for me. I did have a friend though in the sixth grade, my friend Susan, and it was the first time we in, I was in Waco, Texas, and we went to all the sixth graders went to one school from the entire city were bussed in to a sixth grade center and we would rotate classes and she and I would come up with like each class that we were in, we would have completely different personalities. We would like today we're the really loud, raucous girls, and today we're very shy and reserved. But today we're the pranksters, and so they basically you did go to theater school because that's all we did. So there you go. Yeah. You went to, exactly like, starting at four years old. You started your theater school training. Hard knocks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when you finally, uh, when it was time for college, you were considering conservatories, but decided not to. How did you pick the school that you went to, Hendrix? I picked Hendrix because they had a theater program and my parents said that I had to be within a day's drive. And so they said, we can, you can go to school, but we have to be able to be able to drive to you within 12 hours if anything happens. So I went 10 and a half hours away to, to Hendrix College in, in Arkansas. And it had a, a pretty campus. 
And I, I knew I, I knew I wanted to do theater. I had started doing more professional plays, not professional, but, but really high quality um, plays in high school. And I knew that I wanted to keep doing that. I really loved it. I just sort of disappeared into that. And that was a, that was a safe way to build quick family. You know, do you, you found your people really fast and I, I, that, that felt good to me. So I really enjoyed it. And, um, were they known for having a great theater department? Uh, no, but they built, so I, I did my freshman year. We moved in the middle of my eighth grade year. Um, and I had one freshman year in a, in a really small, small town, uh, in Southeast Texas, um, or yeah, sort of, it was near the coast. And that didn't, that didn't go so well for me. And I ended up being sent to boarding school. <laughs> what did in you do? Time. What did you do? Were you uh, deprived? I made some very poor choices in trying to, in trying to, to fit in. What does that mean? What does that mean? Did you smoke cigarettes or like kill people? What happened? Like there's two uh, different uh, ways that could have gone. In the middle, in the middle. No, I, I, I had some substance stuff happen. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I found the substances are pretty early in uh, like, <laughs> like in eighth grade. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, we, we lived in a, the town that I lived in was known for grass farming and rodeo. And we didn't have anything to do. There was no, there was no movie theater. We didn't have a Walmart. We didn't have right. a roller skating rink. That it was it's like Footloose. It's like Footloose. The town was from Footloose. straight up like Footloose. Like so, what we did is we went out to fields and drank. Like that's sure. that was what you did. So I, I did that. I, I wanted to do that. So I drank a lot, and then I uh, got caught a lot, and so my parents had a panic and sent me to to boarding school in in austin which they had a really uh, a a growing theater department and by the time i graduated they had built this huge complex so my senior year was the first year they sort of became an art school so i kind of said goodbye i mean our first production was like i remember they flew in some flats from las vegas i want to say we did guys and dolls but we had like actual professional flats and it was like my senior year I was like oh my god were you the star were you the star Rebecca I was Adelaide yeah you were the star I was Adelaide and then I got to be the stage manager in our town um so that was but of course I I didn't know what that meant I wanted to be Emily Emily of course course. and then they were like stage manager I was like what I'm stage managing the play like I clearly hadn't read the whole play I just read what I was like I didn't know that that meant I had more to do and it ended up being like a really, a really meaningful, beautiful experience. Um, would, would you just getting back to like the making, cause I, I really love talking about making bad decisions. Um, would you say that you kind of did the, there's a trope of a preacher's daughter getting into trouble. Is that mm-hmm. what happened to you? Yeah, it was a rebellion against. Oh, totally. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I just, you know, is I, you're either the really, really good girl or the or really, really bad girl, and I, 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 I didn't want to 
be the really, really. It's also like a really hard position to be in. Like I, I, I can't imagine. Like even if your parents are like the nicest people, there is there's a status thing that happens when someone in the community is touted as a certain thing. Like a, it's like royalty a little bit in America. Like we don't have, you know. So it's like you, it's like, and then you're expected to behave a certain way. And as much as I had like. I would say very little care and guidance in some ways. I also didn't have a lot of pressure to be a certain way because we were all just like, there was no title. Like my parents didn't do anything. So it's, it's a tricky situation, but what I'm, what I'm also noticing is that the, the poor decision-making and the drinking and the getting caught actually was, it led to some really good fucking theater like that you went to Austin and you got to do like really good acting work. So it, it worked out. I yeah. mean, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't an all, all a bad thing. So you were like, you knew. I have learned more from my, my failures than I have ever learned from my successes. And I've had a lot of failures. <laughs> I've, had well, a lot of, I've had a lot of failures. <laughs> you know, something that I can speak to from being in like an insider in Chicago or formerly and now in California, but being at a Chicago actor is like everybody, I want to talk about the pressure in Chicago. So, um, um, you are, one of those people in Chicago that everyone's like, Oh, Rebecca Spence books, everything. And I know it's not, I I, listen, I'm not saying it's true. This is what I'm saying. Let's get to the heart of the thing that I want to ask, which is from being on the, I'm now on the outside looking in. Right. So what is it like? Cause that's always something that I heard and it has actually very little to do with you. It's other people's shit, right? It's not, I'm not saying you are doing anything, but what I'm asking as a woman and a performer, what is it like? And it's easy for me to do now because I'm in LA, so I don't give a, you know, like, it's like, what does it feel like to have that kind of pressure of people? To, do you, first of all, are you aware of it? That people are like, Rebecca Spence books everything. And then how does that affect you? And do you want to tell them to go fuck off? Or are you like, I work really hard? Well, uh, this is, if this, I'll take it two steps back because this is a, a testament to how much I, I love and admire Chicago theater. My understanding, I, I didn't get into theater school because I sabotaged my auditions because I didn't know what kind of an actor I wanted to be. I actually, I choked. I freaked out because I thought that if you wanted to be an actor, that meant that you wanted to be famous and and so I went to NYU. I came to Chicago to audition for theater school. That I did the URTA the, uh, and auditioned for NYU Tisch. And then I crashed the Harvard ART. I didn't know you could crash. And somebody said you did. So I just got in line and I crashed the Harvard auditions. Um, I made it to the final rounds of, of Tisch. And I flew to New York and had a solid panic attack. I just, I didn't know anything about New York. I had, I came from tiny town, Texas. I had never been to Chicago. I had never been to New York. I didn't have a smartphone. I didn't know how to get around. I, I met Zelda. I met, you know, I did all the stuff. I was like, I can't afford this. I don't, I don't know what this is. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and I, I, I straight up choked and, and really sabotaged my own audition but I liked Chicago and my husband got a job here and we moved here. And then somebody said, you know, I needed to find a job. I didn't even know. They were like, what about the Goodman theater? And I, I was like, I don't even know what that is. And I 
didn't know what like actual regional theater was. I ended up getting a job in development at, at the Goodman Theater because I was too scared to, to act because I thought, I don't actually know what I'm doing. I didn't know how to do like prepare a monologue very well. I had done that my senior year in college. Like we prepared one monologue. I didn't know like how to go through that whole process, but I started working at the Goodman. I started watching. I saw Chicago actors come on stage and it was people like Mary Beth Fisher, people like Carmen Roman, people like Deanna Dunnigan, like people, uh, uh, people like Aura Jones, mm-hmm. like that was when I started hearing when they were like, oh, 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 oh my God, Aura Jones is going to be on stage. Oh my God, Amy Morton. I'm like, who, wait, who are these people? Who, who, wait, who are these people? And like people that I started hanging out, like the theater crowd, when they started speaking about these people and their work ethic, I was like, that's what I want. I want to be a well-respected name in a medium-sized town that's that to me is how i know i've made it if people are like oh 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 we want to go see that show because i guarantee you you're going to see someone who has put in the time put in the effort they're going to bring nuance they're going to bring you know a craft to it yeah and so that was my goal that's and and so when i he- hear that there's part of me that's like i still don't know what i'm doing but the little ego part in the back of my brain is like, oh, it's what we've always wanted. Yes, yes, you know? yes. And I and- wanted to be a respected actor in a town that who whose work I respect so much. I fucking love Chicago actors, and I love Chicago theater. I don't think there's any better theater in the country. I I, I think that that the work ethic and and the quality of people that go in and do the work and bring bring their hearts and their souls to it that's all i've ever wanted to be a part of so when you say when you're like oh she works all the time i'm like i i i don't all the i mean i do work but there's part of me it's like oh my god maybe we're doing it maybe you are doing it. it i can tell you right now rebecca spence that you are doing the thing because when i saw you in what was it every brilliant thing is that the the play oh god yeah was I, so- it was it was beautiful and when i saw it i was like oh yeah this is why she she books she works all the time it, it's all relative right but that thing of she works all the time but like this is why it it actually is because you're good at what you do. And you're also, like you said, you actually really care about the thing. We were talking about caring, like Disney really cares how they take care of their parks. Like that's a, that's a segue, but like, that's the, the, the point is that you, you, the care that you put into your, your art is very uh, desirable, right? Like people want to work with that. And I think in Chicago, there is this sense of we're just sometimes we're just there to make it to the next place. But what it sounds like for you is like, this is your place. I'm here. Like this is, I I have no desire to move to New York. I have no desire to move move to Los Angeles. Angeles. I'm doing exactly what I always, like I'm doing more than I ever thought I ever hoped that I could do. Wow. I I mean, that is amazing. More than I ever thought that I, 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 Hope, could hope to do. So I, I am um, always really grateful because <laughs> I, yeah. Honestly, I, I really think that more people could stand 
to do that, to have as their goal. You know, one of the things that has come out of this glut of information put at us all the time is this concept of like exceptionalism and that you only really hear reflected or, or echoed or amplified stories of people who are exceptional, people who make millions of dollars or people who whatever, graduate Harvard when they're 10 years old. And it one of the casualties of it is that I think people who are forming their identities don't necessarily get enough examples of people who are achieving anything in the middle, you know, any kind of other success. And, and we know how much these extreme successes lead to like tragedy in a lot of cases. We'd be doing ourselves a favor if we could put more stories of like, I yes. aimed for this thing that is not the, you know, the outer limit, but is, you know, difficult to do, but was obtainable for me. I think that would be good. I think it's so good. And I think that the, the, also the, the irony or whatever it is, is that now, um, you, you, in terms of, in terms of film and television, you do book that work too, but it's not because you're, it's like you, that was your goal and, and all this theater stuff is just sort of there. It's like that work comes because of the, what you have done to build the platform. And I think Gina, what you're speaking about is nobody's building the fucking platform on which to stand. So it's like all of a sudden they're just catapulted on this platform at the top of the sky and there's nowhere to go but fall. Right. So you've done the work to build the platform, Rebecca. And I think that that's, that's right. That doesn't happen. And I, I think that's freaking amazing because you have something to stand on. You're not like floating in LA, like on a pedestal about to crash. I wouldn't do well in LA. I, I don't think, I, I don't think I would do well there. Um, I could maybe hang out in New York, but I don't think LA would, I, I liked LA. I went out there for just a brief moment just to see what it felt like. Sure. <laughs> and people are like, oh, you're going to love it or you're going to hate it. And I didn't feel either way. I, I liked it. I mean, I, I, I wasn't responsible for living there and getting rent to paying rent. I was staying in a friend's pool house. And so I had a place to live for a month and I had one audition. So I hiked, I did a lot of hiking, which was great. And I found little pockets there, but I thought, I don't think I could live in a town that is just constantly cycling around one industry. And that was kind of how I've always operated. I didn't want to go to a conservatory because I was like, there's way more to me than just acting. Like I, I love, I, I like to, I love what I do. It's, but it's not the only thing that drives me. Like like theater and acting is, is the thing that um, I love most, most of all, but I really, there, I love Chicago. So there's so much more to do than just mm-hmm. that. So true. So I keep thinking about uh, little Rebecca and little <laughs> Joey. And, oh, and you know, we've, we've heard a lot of stories about people who, when they were in college, feeling resentful about pe- other people who they felt like didn't take it seriously enough. People, you know, like a common thing is, a person who had to work really hard to get a full ride because they couldn't have afforded to go to college otherwise. And then to be there with people who are partying instead of, you know, spending a hundred percent of their time dedicated to what they're doing. 
does that come up for you now working on something now do you encounter people who you feel maybe aren't fully appreciating the opportunity they're being given or at, or at this level now are you mostly with people who take it very seriously too i yeah i haven't had that and i mean most people that i work with are really just so excited to be in the room i mean i i i, th- I can think of one instance when I was doing non-equity theater in a basement mm-hmm. <laughs> somewhere for, 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 I was the only female in the entire, in the entire production, <laughs> like cast crew, everything. It was, it was me. And it was a bunch of guys that were, um, kind of jerking around a little bit and, and it affected, it was like a really serious play. And I remember one of them pulled up a, a pretty, a, 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 I don't want to say dangerous, dangerous is too extreme of a term, but it was a play. It was days of wine and roses, which oh, was yeah. like alcoholism. And you know, where I have to, the, the, the character ends up drinking and somebody, they, they changed the bottle and put actual, alcohol in it on stage and didn't tell me. And so I chugged and had like a thing of alcohol and I was like, <gasps> and nobody would fess up to it. Like nobody, yeah, cause I came out like, who yeah. did, who did it y'all? Who did that? Just like tell me and no one would, would, would fess up to it. And then I was like, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. That's actually, that's horrible. the only time I can think of when I was like, I'm, what? I'm putting my heart and soul into it for the most part. No, I've never. I, on I, set, I, what about on set? Are like, is everyone you're working with really like, like? Well, I like to joke around too. I mean, I, I, yeah. I t- what I do on stage, I take very silly, but I love to play. I'm a prankster. I like to. I, I'm very silly. I like to be silly. I, I love people that are having a fa- fantastic time, and when I know that it's not like messing up somebody else's process i'll jump right in because i i like it so i guess so, no, i haven't had any what's a <laughs> what's a favorite project um gosh there've been there've been a lot uh i did a production of a three-person cyrano uh, up at Milwaukee Rep, and it was the first time I had ever left um, Chicago. And uh, we did a, a three-person version of of Cyrano, where we did made all of the sound effects ourselves, and so we switched characters and jumped. And I had never done anything like that. Of like, sort of, it wasn't devised, but it it. Um, it was much more deconstructed than anything that I had ever been a part of. And it was, so, and we toured it, we toured it all around uh, Wisconsin and into Minnesota. And I'd, I'd never done it. I'd never done summer stock. I had never done anything like that. And we were this little merry band of three plus our stage manager in a, in a van driving all over making you know, I was, we would do the sword fights and I would, I would use the foils and make all the sound effects and 
sheets. And I just thought that was, it was, it was a great time. I Why love, did you love it. Why did you love it? Like what, what you just love doing the, like, cause it was the first time you did it or like, what was the feeling that you were like, this is fucking awesome. Why? It was the most creative thing. And we surprised so many people because we made like the set was, you know, made out of ladders and like we would make the set and I love surprising the audience because they would come in they'd be like what the what is this like are you like oh god we're gonna watch people like create out of boxes see like you're gonna take me on one of these like <laughs> craft paper <laughs> theater right. projects right and what am i getting myself into and with just like a little thing of twinkle lights and we and i was working with these two phenomenal actors reese madigan and ted daisy who work at milwaukee rep all the time um, out and and Oregon Shakespeare and they do a lot of Oregon Shakespeare work and we just played we played and played and played and played it was it was playing and yet then we would have these like gut punch moments and it I had just never done anything like that I had always been put in sort of very traditional roles and nobody usually allowed me to step outside of those boxes and I I did it and had such such a good time doing it. I, I, that leads me to my my question about beauty. Okay, so I'm obsessed with this idea of beauty as as a uh, as it relates to how people that are are how we relate to our own beauty or feeling lack thereof or so you know you I, I would say for me you are like a stunning stunning woman, and and um, I would like to know. What is your relationship like? I mean, it's a very, it's a very intense question, but I am obsessed with it. What is your relationship like to your own idea of your beauty? Because people, because what you said really triggered something in me of like, people usually put me in these traditional roles, which to me means like beautiful wife, a beautiful mother, a girlfriend, blah, 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 blah. So, Mm -hmm. and as you age, like talk all about that because people will say like, Rebecca Spence is gorgeous. And I agree. And I want to know what is it like? And I guess it's sort of hard if you're the fish in the water, but like, tell me what's your relationship like to the way your own looks? Sure. Um, you know, I, I, I fully acknowledge that I've had beauty privilege, like I fully acknowledge that that has been a part of my uh, progress. And, um, you know, uh, it has been something that has put me in roles. Like I was never the ingenue ever. I was never the Juliet. I was always the lady Capula. I was always, cause I had a, always had a lower register and I always looked mature. I had a very classic features. And so I was always like lady Croom, lady Capulet. I was always like the bitter aunt and kind of, um, I was Jean Brody, you know, like I got to, to have these sort of larger power player things, which I always wanted. I wanted to play more powerful than I wanted to play pretty because I knew that I was always viewed as such. Um, And, you know, it's, I, I know that I've been allowed into a lot of rooms because of how I look. Um, I think maybe that's why my drive is so strong because I want to back it up. Like I, I don't, uh, it, it's very important to me that 
I bring work ethic and integrity and um, talent to 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 that so that as I age and as I grow and as this goes away or transforms and evolves that I'm leaning more on 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 the thing behind it and and aging as as someone who is it's real like it's it's a real ego check when you were always called in for the beautiful wife and now you're starting to be called in for you know other roles and and this isn't a it's I, I know how it sounds. Like I always like no one. No, no, no. Here, no, no, no. Here's the thing. You're the first. You're the first person that we've talked to that we've said like, hey, like I remember we interviewed someone and Gina brought this up to someone. It was like you're very beautiful. Like what's it like to? And the person could not acknowledge that they, because they were, I think, I don't know what was going on. I assume they were afraid to sound vain, but here's the thing. It doesn't sound any kind of way. What sounds, what it sounds is like you're trying to make sense of the way the world sees you, which actually isn't about you either. It's like, and yet acknowledge the privilege. So you're the first woman that we've talked to that has said, yeah, like I acknowledge like this got me into rooms, but I want to back it up instead of pretending that it doesn't exist, right? Because serve anybody to lie. I, 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 you know, I remember being, I I remember being in a room and I was like, I was like, you're beautiful. And she's like, Oh, I just am fat. And I'm like, come on. You know, I was like, come on. Don't do it. It it, it doesn't, it's, it's, (laughs) it's so insulting to people that, that, that we're like, let's be the thing I've, I've tried to do is truly be objective about my work and, and who I like it to. So you have to be objective about like, I know what I look like. I know what I bring. And so what else do I add to it? And I, it's something that I will never forget because uh, an actor that I know when we were very young, who is, um, doing really, really well right now. And she is, you know, a self-identified fat actress. And uh, like that, that is how she uh, works in the world. And um, is she's, she's just phenomenal, but she was the daughter of a, of a beauty queen. Like her mother was a, a beautiful, beautiful woman. And she was like having to grow up with, you know, under, under someone that was beautiful. She's like, I had to watch, watching her age was one of the most painful things I could have ever witnessed because she was so used to being the most beautiful woman in the world, in the room. Like that was her identity was she didn't have to do too much else because she was the most beautiful woman in the room. And when she aged and those things started to fade, she had sort of lost her identity. And that, that conversation has stuck with me for forever. I was like, don't ever be the person that, that your exterior is the only thing you have. Yeah. Well, I I mean, I think it's awesome. I think it's fantastic that you acknowledge your beauty privilege, but I also acknowledge that there is a prison aspect to it too, or certainly when one is young, you know, where you, you, 
yeah. one can only be considered, you know, for a certain type of role. Um, it can be just as limiting. And then if you grow I've up- lost roles because of it. I mean, I, I've been told I lost, I've, I've lost roles um, where yeah. something I was really, really, really excited about. And they were like, you're too, you are too classically attractive to be relatable. And I was like, being relatable is my jam. Like, right. Right. That's what I work so hard to do. I want to be relatable and, and I'm, you won't allow me out of that. And then of course, you know, I got to step back and I'm like, look, people have to face this kind of, of, of feedback on a completely different. So, you know, I was like, then, I mean, that it sucked. And I, and I grieved that I was like, but, but this is this industry that, and other people face that in total for, for a myriad of different other reasons they are told based off of how they look that they aren't right for the role. And I, I always knew that, but I was like, God, that sucks. <laughs> right. And I'm thinking yeah. of like, okay. like, I mean, I like, you, yeah. And, and, okay. thinking- and no one, and you don't want to tell anybody about it. Cause no one, right. no one's going to be like, Oh, that's horrible. Right. <laughs> Right. I mean, it's this thing of you don't, of course you don't want to, but, and I'm also just aware of like, like I'm, I was obsessed with this whole story of Linda Evangelista who who got face surgery. Me too. And then she finally showed her face and she looks fucking fine to me. Like it's not about that. It's not about her face. It was about, it was no, no. I mean, literally she's, I I read the whole thing too. She, she calls herself deformed. She has like some fat that comes up over her bra. I, I don't know. Well, apparently, it's like solidified. It's hard. Yeah. Like, it's oh, that's true. Yeah. It's, it's like solidified but, and painful and hard. And, 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 but the thing is, like, that it is for me what, what it brought forward was like from the outside, right? Outside looking at Linda Evangelista, she's still one of the most beautiful people I've ever seen mm-hmm. with yeah. or without her deformity, but it doesn't matter because she is not, her identity was this model, right? Which probably mm-hmm. screwed her for life and also offered her privileges beyond my wildest dreams. Both are true. So I guess what it brings forward is like, Everything about this journey is a combo fucking platter. You cannot have the privilege of beauty without also being in a prison. You cannot have the privilege of, you know, like for me, I cannot have the a compassion that I have for humans if I had not gone through what I had gone through as a child, especially an overweight child. Like it, gum, it comes together. And I think we're so used to seeing people as, oh, that's Rebecca Spence. This is what she does. And this is how her life it's not that way. And I think that's one of my life's goals is to just show people through my writing and my work, like this is a fucking combo platter, people. Like you don't get one way. Like Linda Evangelista said she feels like the most ugly person and she acknowledged that she was a model and made millions of dollars doing it. So like, it's both, you're both, you're both things. I give you permission. I give everyone permission to have both the prison and the privilege. I know it's not my job to do, but that's what I would wish on the world if I was running shit, which I'm not. <laughs> so there we go. But anyway, that's my rant about beauty. I just really am focused on like asking women, especially like, what is it like, you know, especially as we get older to like change and it's a real ego knock. I'm, you know, I'm not going to lie. I, I filmed something recently and I, my, 
so I went on set, took a picture of the monitor and gave it to me. I was like, jeez, <laughs> you know, I was like, oh shit. Okay. 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 Right. Okay. All right. Yeah. You know, and, and, and then I went like, I went the complete opposite during like COVID. I, I cut off all of my hair and I let it go gray. I've been gray since I was 15. I started going gray when I was 15. And so I was like, I'm just going to, I'm going to be the new Francis McDormand. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to like never like, and, and my, <laughs> my manager was like, that's awesome. But McDormand <laughs> had to be Francis McDormand before she could do that. Like you are no... <laughs> Well, you're just you. You, she's there. Is already a Francis. He's like, if you still want to work in in film and television, they haven't evolved to that yet. So you're gonna need right. to dye right. your right. hair yeah. and and kind of come back into to reality. So I still have to play the game. I still have to play the game. And yeah. and I I look at it and I'm like, oh, you know, and and bless it. I just see all these these really beautiful women shooting so much shit into their faces and and I just feel for them you know I feel because I'm like god we're chasing it, it, it we're chasing it, such a this concept of uh, at this- please please still find me viable please still find me. And, and I, at, at the same time as most of those people will tell you they would not do anything to be 20 years old again right. in their minds so you can't have it both ways. You can't, you know, be so great. I mean, you, you can, I guess you can do whatever you want, but it's like, I wish the die is cast by the way for us and our, like, it's never going to change in our lifetimes, but we, but we can at least see that it's going to change down the line. I mean, there was a time where I'm sure people thought that this was absolutely never going to change. Um, but I wish people could kind of encompass more the idea like, Oh no, no, I like who I am as I'm older inside and out it's it's easier said than done but i want to ask you something about so like one of the things that happened in the pandemic with theater well is like it completely changed (laughs) and it just completely changed in in every conceivable way and one thing that i hear a lot of actors and and creative types doing now is thinking about their role post-pandemic what you know in theater and film and television too i guess as carrying a lot more responsibility it's my responsibility to see you know what the whole story is with inclusivity for this project and who got cast and it's my responsibility to know the ways in which my privilege you know checked me into this to this opportunity um do you think about that do you think about the ways in which you're maybe the burden of your responsibility has changed. Absolutely, no. It's it's. Um, I am part of a of a theater company, and res- you know, in Chicago, we've had a we have had a necessary reckoning, a, a really necessary reckoning of of who's in power, who holds who holds the keys to the conversation, who holds the keys to casting, who, what kind of stories are being um, put out on the forefront. And um, I, I, I couldn't be more excited and, and, and thrilled by it. And I, and I know that means potentially less work for me and that's okay. That's, that's, 
that is okay. Like I, um, inclusivity and diversity of, of the stories being told. Cause I, I, what's interesting now is like, I have so much zero interest now in, in seeing, <laughs> you know, the sort of cycles of plays that we've been fed for the last, oh, <laughs> hundreds of years, you know, it, the, the stories of, there, there's so many other stories to be told that I'm so hungry to hear and, and see. And it is the responsibility of, of all of us to step aside and create, create opportunities for, for people who, whose stories are, 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 are rich and beautiful and, and, and we learn from like, it's a gift. It's actually a gift. <laughs> we are, yeah. gifted by, we are gifted by, by seeing um, the world through other, other people's eyes that don't look anything like us. Um, it yeah, is. Absolutely. Is it cha- I mean, I guess the other thing is like, I answered your question. Do you know. actually see it? No, you did. You did answer my question. There's another part to it, which is like, and is it actually changing? Is it actually happening? I mean, what I definitely hear is people are talking about it. I definitely hear that happening, social media and in person. But is that because I was part of a group that paid a lot of lip service to this. And then ultimately, when it was time to make the change, they just didn't want to do it. So I had, I had to leave that group. I don't really know. I mean, around here, the the biggest regional theater made so many grand pronouncements and then they opened with doubt this season you know so I'm like okay but is it actually changing I mean I think that remains to be seen I mean there's been a ton of change of leadership but we still aren't completely open yet and so people haven't been able to put on full seasons yet so I'm there's been such a changeover of hands in, in our larger institutions, you know, I, I can think of almost, uh, you know, I think of Steppenwolf, I think Goodman's about to have a, a, a regime change. We don't know yet what that's going to look like, but, um, you know, writers is looking for new people. Um, you know, there, there's been a change of hands. Like our job is to support like give as much support so that these people can succeed. Like our job is to, um, you know, help go see plays, go see plays by new leadership, like whatever they're putting out, like that we ensure that they're successful because sadly, and and this is what's going to be interesting because the people that drive theater are, are the audience bases. And most of those people are people that are predominantly older and white and have disposable income. So the, what I'm, I'm hopeful is that there are opportunities. I, you know, we, we are talking about like new ways to expand platforms. Jen, you froze my She friend. froze. Yeah. Uh, she, that happens sometimes. Oh, okay. But you can still, I just want to hear a part of the conversation. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I think as if, if you're not on stage like that, I was just having a conversation this morning with, with my husband. I was like, I, it's time for us to start going out and seeing theater and making sure that, um, that these new artistic directors are, 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 are getting, you know, their audiences so that they can get, they can get their numbers up so that they can have revenue so that they can 
hire the people that they need to support them. I mean, it's, it's this big cyclical thing. And, um, I, I see it changing, but I mean, the, 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 I don't think we have enough time out yet from the pandemic, um, to, to really see the effects of it. I'm very hopeful and very supportive and, um, yeah, it's making it's making theater accessible. I know some people are talking about like not only will we have live, but we'll also have opportunities to to tape plays, which was so against you know. And people feel very very strongly about it, and um, I understand both sides. But you know, I I have a friend who's like my family in you know Central America. It was the first time that my extended family in Central America was able to see to see my work you know, because I got to film it and put it on Zoom and then they were able to buy a ticket, you know, and see it, it, it opened up these opportunities to bring in new audience members. And I was like, there's something to that, you know, there's something really special and important in yeah, that. And so, yeah. you know, if we can, if we can open accessibility for people to be able to see these things and, and if, you know, we can, support our leaders and in, in um, making sure that they have other people in the room. Yeah. And if it took, and if it took, you know, hundred hundreds of years of, of us being in the same place, it's going to take more than, you know, two, two years for us to be in a different place. And actually I should mention the theater school at DePaul did finally name their new Dean and she is a woman of color. So that's exciting because when Boz and I were in school there, there was only one professor, one, one person of color in, in the whole school. And that, that was true up until like less than 10 years ago. Yeah. And I, and I really, I, I guess I, I say the importance of supporting them because gosh, those are really um, hard shoes to fill. You know, when you are, uh, what, what I, I want to be supportive of, of these people and allow them to make the mistakes that all artistic directors make in, in learning this process, because they're, they're going to be held to the standard that feels almost impossible, like all, mm-hmm. all eyes and having to take over and sort of stitch up a lot of holes and in, in institutions because they're like, well, we did our job. We hired someone of color, you know, mm-hmm. pay for us. Now you've inherited all of our <laughs> internal issues and things like that. So I, I'm very, I'm very hopeful. I, I totally understand though. It's a very daunting task. And, and so I just want to, support them. I don't know if you followed that whole thing that happened with Dominique Morisot and she pulled out her play that did have an all black female creative team. It's just endless the way that these systems are entrenched inside of all of us. It's just encoded in our DNA such that we can be in a situation like that. And it's still not working out because of whatever institutionalized racism. Yeah. And we lost we lost Boz, unfortunately. I I was expecting her to come back, but maybe the, she's at a co working space, and maybe if there's a lot of people there, it you know makes it difficult for her to to get her internet. But it's okay because we were just about to have to wrap up anyway. Thank you so much well, for your you time. Thank you for having me. I I appreciate being one of your outliers, like someone that didn't actually get to go to. <laughs> Well, and it turns out you had all the same experiences as if you had maybe even better ones because you didn't get saddled with the debt, maybe of a conservatory and you 
And you got to, and I think, you know, when people get to pick their own sort of educational experience when it comes to acting and they can find what they like and leave the rest, that that's really valuable too, as opposed to, you know, here's this, this well, I, system of learning. Yeah. I'm grateful. Cause a lot of people, you know, have, have a lot of, of education in their back pocket, which I, I wish that I, I had, and I've tried to study some on my own. Cause sometimes, you know, my bag of tricks gets pretty <laughs> tiresome, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, I also feel like sometimes my ignorance has been good because people are like, but that's not how the system, like, oh, well, I don't even know that system. So Yeah. Yeah. I don't, so you're not burdened by the responsibility of holding it up. Yeah. No, I tried to take a Meisner class once and I near lost my mind. <laughs> I was like, what are we doing? Wait, what are the rules? And yeah, I, I just couldn't understand it at all. None of it made sense. I finally took a viewpoints or I did, I worked on a show with someone who did viewpoints. I was like, Oh, well, this just is like what I call this. relating to people in space. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I, I, I do, I didn't actually really think about this until you just mentioned Meisner, but yeah, maybe we should think twice about the fact that all of the acting methods are you know, were developed by men. It may not be the thing that, I mean, the thing is like, the same thing doesn't work for everybody. Some people are just such devotees of Meisner. They think it's just the gospel. And some people are like that about the method. I think that's must be because that system worked for the way that they learn things and the way that they express and experience things. That's not going to be true for every actor. If you liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survived Theater School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Inc., please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you.